Have you ever thought about how you'd handle it if you encountered someone in a crisis, someone in the middle of the worst moment, of the worst day of their life? Would you be prepared for it? What kind of person would you become because of it? That is the core and I guess the cornerstone and the premise of the groundbreaking new TV show. It's called Totally and Completely Fine. It's streaming on Stan in Australia right now. Loosely, it's based on the astonishing story of Don Ritchie, known as the Angel of the Gap, a man who, according to his family, saved the lives of over 500 strangers. Now, the writer and executive producer behind this show is our guest today, the extraordinary Gretel Vella, and I can't wait for you to meet her. Before we do that, though, got to play some ads. Hold tight. Back in a shake. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I see that my anxiety a lot of the time is something that makes me who I am and sometimes a superpower. I think that I have a really like rich extra layer of empathy and I wanted to show a mental illness with the character of Vivian where it, it, it could be her superpower and she was really great at talking these people down because she'd been there before and she got it in a way that maybe these cookie cutter guardians wouldn't have gotten it in the past. That is screenwriter and playwright Gretel Vella. I'm Osha Ginsberg. This is Better Than Yesterday. Yesterday. 
G'day, welcome. This is Better Than Yesterday. Thanks for being a part of the show. This is a podcast that's here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday, something here on this show. In fact, every show will do just that, guaranteed. We've been here since 2013, and we make today better than yesterday by having conversations with people from all over the world, all walks of life, some of them experts in their field, and... Yeah, just what's that little what's that little bit of improvement we might be able to make? Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, we're here. Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm with a guest. And Fridays, I'm here with you. I'm Osher. I'm a podcaster, a TV host. I'm, I have a family. I live in Sydney, Australia. I ride bicycles. I lift heavy things sometimes. Ramping up to make some television in a couple of weeks and hoping that I'm going to fit all the suits that I need to fit. So I'm on the rowing machine quite a bit. Oh, I'm doing this live show. It's a satirical news show because I rapidly realized that no one was going to give me the satirical live news show of my dreams. So I just made one and it's been going really well. We've done it in Sydney. Uh, We did a couple of weeks in Sydney. We did the Melbourne National Comedy Festival, which was really, really cool. And we're just lining up for the Sydney Comedy Festival, Manning Bar, 3rd to the 7th. The special guests we've got are sick and you can get tickets in the show notes. So get on board. Now, content warning because, you know, you need to know that this is coming today because that's what the show's about. Before we kick off, the I guess the central part of this show is centered around the topic of suicide. Now, if that's something that you're not up for today, I totally get it. There's plenty of other episodes in the feed that you can check out. Uh, go check out Friday's episode with Tony Martin. It's a snippet of NTNN NNN, the uh, live show I just spoke to you about. Have a listen. There's a, it's about a third of the show, or a third of the, f- the full show, and you'll get an idea of what the show's about. But it's a far more, a lot more levity in that. There is levity today, I promise you. But, you know, we do talk about a lot of aspects of, of suicide and suicidality. So before we get into that, if you're in Australia and this conversation does bring up anything for you, 13, 11, 14, to talk to Lifeline, call your GP, call your doctor, wherever you're in the world, be smart and um, take some control of the situation and get help if you need it. Right. Today, my guest is Gretel Vella. She is a fabulously funny and extraordinarily talented writer from Sydney, Australia. She wrote the series The Great prior to that. She's written so much TV. She's written uh, episodes, so many episodes of Doctor Doctor, Series 3 and Series 4, I believe. She wrote uh, the films a Christmas Ransom and A Sunburnt Christmas. You might have seen them on Stan. And Stan is where her new series has made its debut. It's out right now, actually. You can watch all the episodes right now. The show is called Totally and Completely Fine. Now, loosely, the show is based on an astonishing Australian who since passed away. He was a man called Don Ritchie. Don lived across the street from a spectacular bit of Sydney coastline known as The Gap. The Gap is a stark cliff top. It is towering with stunning sandstone high above the thunderous Pacific Ocean far below. And as breathtaking as it is, The Gap is also heartbreaking, partly because it is so easy to access, so close to the city and so close to where people live. Unfortunately, and quite sadly, this place has seen many, many people lose their lives to suicide. Now, Don lived across the street. And when Don passed away, uh, he claimed the number was about 180, but his family insisted it was closer to 500 people that he, he saved. He saved the lives of close to 500 people because over 45 years of living there across the street, if he saw someone, I guess, you know, close to the edge or 
not looking right or hanging around a bit too long or on the wrong side of the railing at worst, he'd leave his house, he'd walk literally across the street, across South Head Road, and he would often introduce himself with these words. He would say, can I help you in some way? And he'd have a quick chat and say, why don't you come back to my house across the street? We'll have a cup of tea and a chat. And it was that that saved lives, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives. Now, if you've ever been to the Gap or you drive past or you look at it, people are doing their best to make sure that I mean, it, it's, you can't close it because the, the way the road is built and the way that the topography of the place is, you, you can't cut off access to it because that's how people come and go from their homes. It's, it's just where it is. But there's, you know, there's floodlights, there's a lifeline button on the pole, there's a phone box, a free phone box right there, the cameras all over the place, you name it. There's all kinds of things built around the place to try and keep people safe. And I, th- I think it was when we were researching the documentary for A Matter of Life and Death that we made for SBS, or there might have been something else, but I remember somewhere hearing that all of those interventions, they definitely saved a lot of lives and they do continue to save a lot of lives and they are very, very important. None of them were as effective as the human connection of someone simply walking over and saying, can I help you? Why don't you come and have a cup of tea and have a bit of a chat about it? And that is kind of where the show starts. I'm not going to blow it for you. It is a dark comedy and it's, it's brilliant. I don't know it's brilliant because about a year ago, I got an email from one of the executive producers who had seen the documentary that I've just spoken about, the documentary I made with Learn Media, and asked if I would be able to spend some time with Gretel and the, and the team of people who are writing the series and help them make the scripts that they were writing better. Now, one thing leads to another. And next thing you know, I'm in a writer's room with actual proper drama screenwriters, the EPs, like everyone was there. And they wanted to hear what I thought of their script. And as someone with a lived experience of complex mental illness and someone with a lived experience of suicidality and active and passive suicidal ideation, they wanted to know how it was looking. It was easily one of the biggest honors I've had in my career to be involved with this. I'm, you know, I'm not known for this sort of thing. I have a complete fascination with story structure and screenwriting. and I have a complete fascination with how television's made, particularly drama and, you know, camera movements. Like I'm, I'm right into it. I've written things, terrible, but I've written things. I work in reality television, but I am an extraordinary student and fan and enthusiast for the actual construction of dramatic television and dramatic film. And so to be asked to do this was amazing for me, and I was so honoured to be asked. And when I think about the time that I spent being very ill, and it was quite a long time, years actually, being suicidal myself, struggling to get better, working hard to stay better. It was bloody awful. But what that meant was that when I read the episodes, I was thankfully able to offer a perspective to the people who were writing these to make sure, because they were trying to make it as as authentic as possible and not miss anything. I was so honoured. I was I was so honoured to, to be asked. We do mention a moment, Gretel does spoil something. I'll say, that's a spoiler. She goes, oh, fuck it. Yes, they should know what you did. And she mentions a spoiler, but it's it's an example of the kind of contribution that I was privileged to make to this incredibly important and brilliantly, brilliantly funny series. 
it's sad, it's hard, and it's also extraordinarily funny. Gretel Vell is on a rocket ship. Her career is exploding. So did you get a chance to speak with her at this point? of her journey is really, really a gift. She's great. She's charming. She's delightfully funny. And as dark as the next hour or so might get from time to time, I do hope, and I know you will enjoy meeting Gretel and learning all about the new show, Totally and Completely Fine. Hi, Gretel. Hi. Where in the world are you today? You look like, let me just have a looky here. You look like you're in a, a, a kind of interesting highly dense part of Sydney? I am in St. Leonard's at the Fremantle office, so there's a very attractive car park behind me. I remember the Fremantle office very well. (gasps) Yes, Australian Idol. The first time. Yes, I remember the Fremantle office very well. It was my – I remember going there for meetings, (laughs) going, you know, because at the time we were on Channel V and I don't know if you realise this, Greta, we were the coolest kids in school. And we're showing up and in the in the lobby at Fremantle at the time, they had three TVs on loop playing Wheel of Fortune, uh, Neighbours and whatever else it was that they were producing at the time as if like, ha ha, this is what we make here. And they were just loop DVDs, I guess, just looping. I remember walking in there going, it's a bit old school. <laughs> I'm over here making interactive TV with kids texting me and stuff in 2002, you know. (laughs) Oh, my God. Love it. Yeah, and that's also, that is the very building where I had the meeting um, with the head of the network and one of the associate producers of Australian Idol about um, using a razor and running a comb through my hair. Uh, what? Like you? You wanted to be able to do those no, things and like, you weren't allowed. He, he's on camera. He needs to. He, this is not. It looks like a bird's oh. nest. No, he needs to use a razor. <laughs> like he's never shaved. This is ridiculous. We're network television, mate. I'm like, and bear in mind, Gretel, this is a man who is wearing a white, kind of like 1986 Mambo T-shirt, tucked into acid wash jeans with winkle pickers. <laughs> oh my god! Like. I held my li- Did you I held the line there, Gret, and I uh, worked out. <laughs> oh, you didn't have to do well good on you. <laughs> no. I mean you're so you were trendsetting. Uh, uh, I hope you explain that. Uh, I was f- fairly full of hubris and, and, and arrogance at the time, so I didn't hold back. I would have I would have played it very I would have had a similar result, but I would have played it very differently <laughs> if it was now. Well, look. Firstly, A, I'm thrilled that you and I are allowed to speak. There was there was a meeting about whether we could talk or not. Uh, but I, I did hear this. Yeah, I am overjoyed that we can talk about this because when I found out that you were writing this series, I was thrilled that such a thing was being dramatised in Australia. And to be asked to be involved was like the, the greatest thing Ever. And I had the most extraordinary time. We had the most extraordinary time with you. And I know, like, we did, I don't remember how many episodes you read in the beginning, but we'd done a preliminary writer's room and we'd watched A Matter of Life and Death. And you were just kind of a touchstone. And I remember at the end of one of the days, we were like, why don't we just send him an email? And he won't (laughs) reply, but we'll try. And you did, and it was incredible. And then we—I remember the day that you came in to help, and 
I think I made you go through all of those scripts for like six hours. Oh, yeah. You're a legend. It, mate, it was <laughs> it was incredible as, you know, I mean, I don't know if you realise this. I mean, you may have a master's in screenwriting, but I, I have read <laughs> Save the Cat. So I'm like... Um, yes. We're pretty much the same, you know, as far as skill sets. I mean, that's all you need. Skill sets yeah. go. <laughs> and I, I wrote a shit, shit, but fun uh, feature with my friend Alicia once. Uh, but I, you know, I knew enough about you know how things are structured, and 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 mm-hmm. you know, I've done enough um, act. I'm not a good actor, but I've done enough acting to know how scripts are working, and you know how tension and release works in screenwriting. And so to watch the way that you were. The watch the way the scripts were crafted was just a it was a, a stunning thing to be a part of, and it's it, it's a very tricky, tricky, tricky thing to depict complex mental illness and suicidality in the context of a primetime show that's funny. It's a tough thing. Yes. Tell me about the pitch. How did you even pitch this? I just feel like there was no other way to do it really than make it a comedy. I think that comedy is, that's how I talk about really tough issues in my work. And I think perhaps if you were to do a straight story about this kind of thing, it would be too much to take. But what we ended up with was a kind of self-growth story about our lead Vivian. And her story is kind of funny, but then also we cushioned it in this family story of two brothers who are also coming to terms with something that Vivian, I think, does more overtly and outside of herself. And so I think the brothers' stories are are quite funny and humorous and kind of cushion the darker themes in it. But I think everyone from the beginning was really open to the pitch and I think it was because it was the right time, like it came off the back of the pandemic and I kind of wrote it because, I mean, I was experiencing things. So many people in my life who had never had anxiety or depression before were like, I'm experiencing these new emotions. So when I went in to pitch it, everyone was so much more articulate and literate about it and were like, this sounds like a good idea. Yeah, and it, it's uh, it, it's based, I guess, you know, the backdrop of it is is loosely based on this, you know, real thing, this very real person who mm-hmm. truly existed. And, and I, I know we spoke about it when we worked together, this, this, that, you know, we'd sit there in these board meetings at, say, in Australia, I'm not speaking out of school, but we'd talk about all these interventions of, you know, if there's a particular spot that's of high risk, you know, there's a camera there or there's a phone there or none of them. Where came close to this person who lived across the street and would just walk over and say, hey, do you, do you want a cup of tea? And just, mm. <laughs> you know, this idea that human connection, which is kind of what we came to in, in the film Matter of Life and Death, it was the human connection that ultimately was the thing that helped people out of those moments. Yeah, definitely. And I think certainly I learned so much in the research process for this and I think we can stress ourselves out so much about what the right thing to do in that situation if you come across someone who is contemplating suicide and really just going up and asking them the question and being direct about it it kind of takes the fear Mm. and the stigma away from it and you can have that conversation and it's just I mean it sounds so simple but it just blew my mind speaking to you and speaking to the other like advisory people that we were talking to I had to do it like, like only a couple of weeks ago um there was really? yeah 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 there was somebody I'm you know people people you know 
I, I, I'm sober and I've been through what I've been through and I c continue to manage all that sort of stuff as I go forward. And so, you know, people sometimes reach out and they go, oh, there's this friend of a friend who's, you know, okay. And, you, and yeah, just sit this person down and ask them straight to their face. And it's interesting because they're kind of shocked straight away as if like, how did you know? And then, <laughs> and then they answer honestly. And I go, yeah, I have. Um, but, uh, you know, not, not today, but it's certainly something that's on my mind. I'm like, okay then, well, that's mm -hmm. a good place to start. And it's, it's wild because it almost, it almost kicks the barn doors open and then they can't be closed again because yeah. it, for both of you, you know, because, um, certainly, you know, in my experience when, when, when I was the one being asked, um, it was this super, super secret that was as heavy, mm. you know, cause I couldn't bear this, that I had these thoughts as well as these thoughts, you know, it was like this double weight. And then when someone mm -hmm. asked me, boom, half of it was gone. I was like, oh, thank goodness. I don't have to hold this alone. And similarly, when you're the person asking, it's this great unspoken. And then once that's out there and out the way, there it is on the table. Now you can have a chat about it. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's so simple. It, it is, but it's where we're so reluctant to do it because it's, uh, we, we might not know what to do with whatever comes next, you know. Mm. Uh, and I know what was, you know, astounding working with you and the other, and the team was how much you were aware of your duty of care here, that you weren't, you were so aware of not wanting to exploit the trope for story, which is really uncommon in screenwriting because mental illness is so easy. It's why we have psycho. It's why we have, you know, <laughs> it is. Because it's so easy. Yeah, it's totally. You know, uh, the the physical version would be it's why we have you know, uh, you know, a baddie with a deformity. You know, the mm -hmm. the physical version is it's easy to make a baddie someone who's like facially deformed or physically deformed. Um, similarly, it's easy to have a body. Oh, he's schizophrenic. It's like, well, no, not really. So tell tell me about that. <laughs> tell me about the idea of like wanting to use mental illness but not wanting to lean on it as the get out clause for your writing. Well, I think it's that thing I had seen it depicted in a lot of television and it was very surface level or, you know, it was it was a hallmark of the villain or it was really easy and it was something that, you know, someone has one conversation and they're healed really quickly yeah. because they've got what they're thinking about out yeah. there. And I think it's just like having experienced anxiety and depression myself, it's just not like that. I wanted to depict a really realistic journey for someone who had a really non-linear growth story. She had days that were progressive and then days that were absolutely terrible. Yep. And I think we talked about that a lot when you came into the room. And I also wanted to tell a story where mental illness was really, really hard for that person. But also, I mean, as lame as this may sound, I see that my anxiety a lot of the time is something that makes me who I am yeah. and sometimes a superpower. I think that yeah. I have a really like rich extra layer of empathy and I wanted to show a mental illness with the character of Vivian where it, it, it could be her superpower and she was really great at talking these people down because she'd been there mm. before and she got it in a way that maybe these cookie cutter guardians wouldn't have gotten it in the past. It is. It's interesting to have that framing. I, t I talk about this a bit when I do when I speak publicly about um, mental health, like for for workplace and things that get me in occasionally. And 
for me, like having it, seeing that the way your brain works and understanding that the, like when I got diagnosed with OCD, I deflated like a bouncy castle after a toddler's birthday, right? And my doctor caught it and he went, hey, wait, 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 wait. Do you know how many people that have won Olympic medals that have sat in that chair that I've told the same thing to? Like the amount of people who, you know, played the Blood is Low Cup and, you know, crossed the trial line. Like, do you really think that someone's going to jump in a pool every day and stare at a black line for five hours for 12 years from the age of eight so they can do it once in Tokyo over 38 seconds? You think they don't have a bit of this? Come on. I was like, oh, all right. But he really taught me that I can't use it as an excuse. I have to take responsibility for it because it can be quite damaging to me if I don't look after it. But identifying mm-hmm. the bits of it that are useful uh, mm. are kind of helpful. So tell me how, like beyond empathy, how does the anxiety help you perhaps say when you're, when you're writing or when you're, trying to, when you're trying to craft something or get something done? Oh, uh, <laughs> I... I am a perfectionist. Mm. I mean, sometimes that can be challenging, but I think it, it I think it makes my work better. I think I have an extra um obsessiveness is the wrong word, but I really want it to be great. And I know that could reach an unhealthy level. Yeah. But I think why do something un- unless you want it to be great? And I think also when it comes to writing, I love to write characters who have uh flaws and a lot of the time they have mental illness and I think it 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 makes them extra interesting and exciting and people can relate to that. For you, where's the line then? You, you said there's a line of being, and it's something I can certainly relate to. Like, because clearly there's something, there's other people you, you sat, you didn't do your courses alone. Like there were other people that you sat next mm. to in the class, but you're the one that's got the series produced. So, <laughs> you know, clearly there's something about the work that you do and the, the process of the work that you do that is, mm-hmm. that is different. Um, so tell me about like wh- where's the line for you between now I'm getting you know uh, uh, too into the perfectionism now I'm going to have to you know step back here. I think it, be- it it when you start to obsessively read over things too many times and you become unable to share. I think that's where uh, the problem is because you can keep things for a really long time. It doesn't make them better. It's just because you have a fear of people judging them, and that is like every writer has that problem. It's this fear that you get it out there and people will hate it because it's you on a page. Is it learning to be with that? Yes, but I think if you share things enough times, I'm getting much better at it. Mm. You realise that after it's been with you for a while, the next step is always to have other brains on things and it always makes it better. And I think consultation and research is such a massive part of my process for that reason. It's like, you do one version of things. And that's what's so great about TV. You have one idea of what something is. You take it to the next stage. A crew comes in, experts come in, and it makes it so much better than you thought up. It's a team sport. Uh, it really is. I've just been through, we just did 10 shows in a row at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Sorry, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Um, for some reason, I thought <laughs> it would be a great idea. Uh, I'm making a satirical news show because I've always wanted to host a late night satirical news show. I very rapidly realized no network was going to give me one. So I just fucking made one. And we've done, we did eight weeks in Sydney and it was awesome. Got our season extended even. And then we got invited to the Melbourne Comedy Festival. We're about to do Sydney. And so we did 10, I did 10 shows in a row, two and a half thousand words every day. Uh, wow. Tight, fucking tight headlines, tight, like, and, and so it changed every day. It was the news of the day. Oh, my God. And Did you write that? Yeah. 
Yeah, I had people helping me research the stories, but I I wrote it every day. And wow. what was this terrifying and was exactly what you just described is that 7.15, whether I like it or not, the intro music's going to play, the house lights are going to go down, and there's going to be people in a room waiting for a show. So I've, I have to have it finished, and I have to be okay with where it is. And I found it was so difficult early on to just take the script and just leave the house. It was like I just I had to understand that it was going to be what it was going to be and that in the moment I would be able to deliver it and they would laugh and that would be what they paid for and that would be fine. And I would go, to, I, I don't know if you can recognize this, Gretel, because uh, Audrey was there and I was trying to articulate what was going on. Say the, sh- like, not a, you're never going to have two good shows in a row, all right? Uh, especially, especially when you're live. And you'd know this is a play, right? You never have two in a row. You know, that's, you know, some nights is there. And I'll be driving away or on my bicycle home and then all I would be thinking, like for two and a half, three hours, I would feel this feeling in my body where all I would see was the holes. It would be all I would see. And I said to Audrey, it's like, I have to be really careful not to email anyone, not to text anyone, not to call anyone, not to try and fix anything, not to try and give any notes, not to try and adjust anything. All I can think of is these holes. And it sounds terrible, but it's what the, it's the gag that came into my line the next morning as soon as I woke up. I was like, oh, I went to bed last night thinking about all the holes we made last night. I woke up this morning and realized we'd built a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> but it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming, this feeling of, it's fucked, it's shit, fuck, shit, shit. Oh, I did, fuck. There was a thing I missed there. I timed that wrong. Fuck, 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 fuck. And the next, I, I feel like that's a whole special level of pain, no having to do it daily. <laughs> get like a few hours to write and put it out there. I don't know if I could do that. Oh, yeah. I get weeks. Mate, give yourself a curtain. You'd be amazed what you can pull off, Greg. <laughs> Deadlines are good. I don't good. know. Deadlines are good. <laughs> mm. Oh, my God. And then having to perform what you wrote. Yeah. You really have to be like, this was me. I did this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even better, some of because I had some of the people helping me write uh, and and research. So they they pitch stories, and I'd take them the what they wrote to me, and then I would you know mold it into to the rest of the show. Um, and I'm sure you know in a writer's room you understand that. Oh, this is this really good piece of dialogue. Here's four or five lines, but it doesn't fit with what's above and below that. So I'm now going to have to <laughs> massage it, but I can't lose the essence of it because if I, you know what I mean, like that's really hard to do. <laughs> Yes. And there's a very fine line. People are always like, just like, get rid of it. You don't need those three lines. But when you're attached to things that you love, yeah, make it work. It is. Um, <laughs> and, and that and some of the, and three, so I had some people helping me and um, three of them are astounding stand-ups, Jen Fricker, uh, Brody Snook and Chris Ryan. And these women would write the most devastating stuff for me, like, like proper mega, you know, but like the most awesomely like cutting feminist stuff, particularly around wage gaps and things like this. And um, I'd I'd, I'd say to them, it's like, write them as if I'm like the blowhard uh, late night cable news guy who's, you know, just completely like just white straight bleh. And they went, all right. And I'll deliver this stuff. It was savage. And people were like, (gasps) I was like, oh, wow. I was terrified to do it. (laughs) But it was awesome. That sounds amazing. It was really good. Wow. It was so sp- oh. <laughs> you should come. Is it going to keep going? Yeah, we're doing- Is, si- it, is it still going? Sydney Comedy Festival, we start May 3rd. We're doing six shows. 
All right, I'm going to do that. Mate, that sounds great. Come along. It'll be super fun. But I, I've just you know, been talking about me for the last 10 minutes. But uh, I, I wanted to ask you, you're like, that feeling, that feeling of uh, it's, not, it's, it's not where I want it to be. Like, I've been listening to that Rick Rubin book a lot, and it's really good. Tell me about the moment where you go, that's, that's just going to have to do, or I'm happy with that. I'm just going to let it go and then pass it on to this next person. And once I let go of it from here, it's never only mine anymore. It, now it's mm-hmm. this collaboration that you mentioned earlier. I think I get a very specific feeling. If I feel as though it's not, it's not quite there, but I have no resources left in my brain and there's no amount of replotting I can do, that can change it. Like I actually often find I'm unable to work on it any longer, even if I know that maybe something's not quite right. That's when I know that I need other people. And quite often they'll tell me it's great as it is, <laughs> but sometimes they don't. And yeah, so I've, I've learned to recognize the feeling. But as I said, I think as you get further along in your career, you learn to hand it off far earlier and have conversations far earlier and be vulnerable with people that you trust. Do you ever see it like I that, that these people can't do what they, like the, your steady cam operator can't do what they can do and be do the best work of their life without the world that you've created and that they are thrilled that you've given them this raw material to work with? Do you ever like see that? Yeah, definitely. And I think like particularly we're totally completely fine. It was like we had the story and people were really excited about the story, but there was this extra layer of like, I think everyone felt such an immense responsibility to tell the story correctly because it could be important for people. And so that just bonded us in so much more of an intense way. And we had conversations you probably wouldn't normally have on a set and all of everyone did the suicide prevention training because they just wanted to. It was it was really incredible. And so I think we had like a particularly special experience on this show that I don't think I've had before. I'm really grateful that you you did that. I know we did talk about that because it she can pop up out of nowhere. Everyone's been touched by it. And you might think yeah. you might think you're fine. And then just a look on a face or a turn of phrase and then mm-hmm. just unlocks this wormhole <laughs> that you'd closed off, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. T- tell me about what it was like. Were you on set? Yes, I was on set every day. What was that like? I mean, it was incredible. I think it's incredible when you, I mean, I've written episodes of television before, but it's never been my original idea that's come from <laughs> from me. And so it was every day I had to pinch myself and be like, why is this whole crew of people here to, to do the things that hmm. I wrote down? It was really strange. Uh, but as I said, everyone felt such an immense responsibility and was so passionate about it. And particularly on the days where we shot the scenes on the ledge, there was just such a, it's really hard to describe that feeling. I think everyone thought they knew what we were doing. And then when we started to shoot those scenes, they really felt it in a different way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because that that's like, you know, it's really where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Those yes. critical moments. Um, cause yeah. you can talk about, this is what the show is based upon. And then, oh, and now we're, this is, now we're getting, this is the bit, this is the bit. Here we go. This, this is the bit. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Which I mean, it's a lot of you know, it's a lot of pressure for your cast as well to be able to deliver that. Y- yes, and I think we anticipated that, and so, but I think that because we anticipated it, they did the training. We had mm. a mental health consultant who was there for the whole shoot. Yeah. So I think by the time they got there, they were really actually prepared. And, and, and I, I can't honestly, I can't wait to see it because the depictions of people in this space, um, which you know we talked about when we worked together, the depictions of people in this space or in that mindset on camera have not been very authentic because it's usually it's, and I hate to say it, uh, in many often it, it's it's a get out of jail free card for a writer because I don't know how to get from there to here. Ah, uh, mm. then this happens. Ah, now we're here. Like completely not doing service to everything else that's going on in that person's day. And I feel like we we have you to thank for a lot of that. <laughs> you really came in. I will always remember the pilot episode. We had Bob on the ledge at the end, the construction worker, and you were like, I just think he needs an extra beat with Viv to come down from his active suicidal ideation. And I think you said what I normally do is I do a small task to keep me in the present moment. And we came up with the bins moment uh, where they take the bins out together. And it is just my favourite moment in the whole show, (laughs) what you brought to it. I can't wait. Have you seen the pilot? No, I'm not. I've not uh, seen a frame. I can't wait for you to see it. The audience is just like, for a second, what is going on? And then it's just so moving and beautiful, two people taking out the bins, and that is you. (laughs) I'm covered in goosebumps, Gretel. That's so nice to know that that made it. It's a moment of, uh, uh, you know, just doing a thing that is right here, whether it's the dishes or, ah, I've got to take the laundry off the line because it's raining now. Like suddenly this whole overwhelming, everything is terrible, the world is, it's never going to get better, I have to get out of that. Oh, shit, my towels are getting wet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It, it, boom, it allows, it's just this perspective shift that pulls you away from that distorted, well, in my experience, pulls me away from that distorted thinking and, and, and almost sucks me out of, of that separate universe that my brain's creating to go, oh, no, I'm here and, oh, man, if I don't get these out, this bin's going to stink. Eh, oh. Got to get it done. <laughs> Dragging the wheelie bin over the, over the lawn. You know? <laughs> I wish you'd been in the scene too. That oh. was great. <laughs> It's okay, you know. I've I'm not a great. I've played myself in Neighbours once. Uh, I've played oh my, my, actually. God, I've I... played myself twice in 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 drama. In Neighbours, yeah. Oh, what was the other time? Uh, on um, Zoe Foster Blake's show. Oh, the wrong girl. Yeah, yeah. I, I showed oh. up. I showed up in that in a dream sequence. That is funny. As as in my job though, as my as with a rose in my hand. Um, so I don't know, I don't know how Warner Brothers gave that IP away for the day, but you know, all this, all this sort of stuff. I feel like you've really made it if you're asked to play yourself more than once in something. (laughs) It's really the touchstone of success. Tell me about your, um, you know, not everyone's going to be a writer, not everyone's going to be a creative person, but there's certainly ways, and you mentioned earlier about, you know, the, the anxiety or the things that push you to want to make mm-hmm. things just right and then being with the difficulty of releasing it but understanding that releasing it is is going to be better once you hand it over. Tell me about mm-hmm. the, you know, 
process of, and I hate to use that word because it's shit, but uh, like say if you're making spreadsheets, right? Say someone says, I need a spreadsheet. I've got to find a break-even point on this product. Trying to find a creative solution and, a, and an elegant solution to that, it means you have to start from scratch and you've got to go from zero. Tell me about when you're sitting down with a blank page. Tell me mm-hmm. about you know the, the idea of what, what you do to the process of putting a project together uh, where you balance the unsurety yet being with the unfolding nature of things and, uh, you know, and trusting the ability that you've had mm-hmm. so far. I've met writers in the industry who tend to try and predict what producers and streamers are going to want. And I feel I've, I've, <laughs> I, I mean, I totally get it. Like it's so hard to get work. You can't be a struggling writer, but I think, my process has always wrote, been I wrote that. I yeah, wait yeah, it's, until it's, something it's, it's comes to me where it's I get a particular silly. feeling. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to explain, but like we're totally completely fine where I go, I have something burning that I need to say about this and this is really important to me. And so then I think when you sit down and you start, it normally comes out of you quite quickly when you start from that place. Yeah. And I always tell people, I think it can be really hard to start writing when you have no idea where it's going to go or if anyone's going to pick it up and it can make you feel really unmotivated. I think you've like, it's a skill to really learn to push through that and treat writing like your full-time job and sitting down every day and doing it. And you're going to have bad days. Uh, but I think they become fewer as you get further into whatever project that you're working on. Can you manufacture that moment? Can you encourage the serendipity of that that moment appearing, that inspirational moment appearing? I think it's like a bustle. I think as you get further into doing writing as your job or just as your hobby, you tend to like pick things up from real life far faster and start to fixate on things or things that people have said to you or you yeah. start to read a book and go, that would be an amazing TV show. It becomes more of a sense and an awareness that you have for stories. Right. The, as you said, you know, you know, we talked about muscle, but I started to think like the ana- analog would be, you know, say for example, someone who's in a, I don't know, an Olympian tennis player. All right, they don't just show up in Paris and serve. You know, they work every day, every single mm-hmm. day, hoping to make a team, knowing though that they won't make a team. If they don't work every day, and even if they don't make the team, that work every day will still bring them, well, shit, I can go pro, or I can do this, or I can, you know, become a coach, or I can do that. Like, it is the work every day that puts them into this orbit where all these other things start to happen. And if they just sat around waiting until the (laughs) Olympic match, hoping that that's, oh, can you come and play this match now? They'd be fucked. Oh, A hundred percent. And I think people beat themselves up. Like a lot of friends I have have never written before and they're like, I'm going to sit down and do it for the first time. And they really beat themselves up if they can't write a few pages on their first day. And people often say to me like, oh, you got really lucky or like, what's your secret? And it's like, oh, no, no. (laughs) I have toiled for years and years and you do internships and you write scripts that go absolutely nowhere and you are people's PA and you you work really hard and you take lessons from everything to like hone that craft and make it a muscle and make it your job. But it takes it takes work for sure. A, a buddy of mine, he's in um, 
consumer cosmetic products, right? That's his game. Uh, moisturizers and hair hair care and stuff like that. Uh, he's got a couple of brands. He's involved, his company's involved with a couple of brands. And he, he says to me after the show, across all of our companies, we launched 1,000 products last year, okay? Of those 1,000 products, 40 worked. 12 massive hits. But we could not have had those 40 or those 12 mm -hmm. without the other 960. And we had to put just as much work into development, creation, designing a logo, designing everything on every other one of those things. And, and he said, and that is why we're the number one company at what we do. That's our ratio. I love that. That's our ratio. Could you imagine? Could you just imagine if you turn around to a room of, you know, you know, creative people or, you know, whatever's like, hey, okay, so of the thousand scripts you're going to write, 960 are never going to get picked up. But 12 will make your career. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who would, like you what would you give for 12 scripts that would hit? Yeah, that's... Mm. It's best not to think about <laughs> your career in too, too big a terms or count. I know people who count things yeah, and yeah. keep spreadsheets of these are the things that went, these are the things that didn't. And I think you you have to have a very thick skin and be really good at letting things go, yeah. which is hard because it, it comes from you. It's yeah, like they're yeah. saying no to you in a way. <laughs> ah, yeah. That, yes, true. You know, to talk about a tennis player for a second as well. A tennis player, while working every day, is also now – adding 20 years of their life, really vital, amazing years of their life because they're staying fit, their cardiovascular system's working really well, they're meeting people, they're out in the sunshine. What do you get out of writing, even the scripts that don't make it? What do you get out of it? I mean, I think I started doing it because I really liked making people laugh and then I started to realise that you could make people laugh and you could say something that was really important to you or start conversations. So I think there's no other feeling like, you know, playwriting, for example, is such a more immediate thing where something goes on, seeing an audience react to it and then having people come over to you after and tell you that it was important to them or it, it cheered them up. I think it's incredible. And I think, you know, th there is that like singular experience of being in a room alone as a writer and that's kind of normally your first experience with an idea. But there is nothing like being in a writer's room with a bunch of other writers and getting in this kind of creative flow together where you're plotting episodes and you are just all on this same page and getting through it and making each other laugh and cry. And I think it's just so special. And sometimes, particularly in writer's rooms, I stop and I go, I, I can't believe it's my job that I get to say really dumb things <laughs> for days on end. The work that I did with you guys was... I, and I've done some cool shit in my career. That was one, that was like easily like top five of the things I've ever done oh, in my stop. life. Easily. Really? No, I swear. Like it was so oh. great to be in that space and to to uh, collaborate in that way. And I'm just, I, it, you know, the, the worst thing about it was that it made me want to do it more. That's the worst thing about it. <laughs> it was like, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Is this just another ADHD thing where I'm now? It's like, well, this thing's really interesting. I'm going to get um, fucking amazing at that. <laughs> no, I I think that because I was like, oh, he's going to come in and he's going to give us like, you know, consultation notes. But you came in and were like, so structurally this thing or this character. And I was so blown away, like in a great way. Oh, I was God. like, oh, shit. <laughs> 
notes are like really great. Who am I? Uh, who, who the fuck am I to give anyone notes like that? No, it was so great. Okay, your favorite, your note that was, oh my god, my favorite apart from the bins was in the pilot. Mm. One character gives someone an autograph, mm. and you went, okay. No one gives autographs anymore. Nope. They they would take a selfie, and I felt about seventy years old. I was like, "Sorry, sorry, Osha." <laughs> Did it make it? You know what? I put it in because I thought it was funny that I'd written autographs. So he does get, but he gives it to an older gentleman. Ah, uh, okay, all right. So cool. it's kind of makes sense, uh, I guess. Okay. No, it's so fine. <laughs> but That's I think still... of you. <laughs> Just a moment away from Gretel. To let you know, one, you can watch the show we're talking about totally and completely fine. All the episodes are available to stream on Stan right now. There's a streaming platform in Australia. I'm sure outside of Australia you can find it as well if you look hard enough. And to let you know that the Sydney Comedy Festival show we're doing, NTNN, NNN, Real Stories, Fake News, the satirical news show that we make, of the news of the day, every night we do a new show. So you can come five times, you wouldn't see the same show twice. Uh, that is uh, back May 3rd to May 7th. These are the last shows we'll probably be doing for quite some time because I get right into some TV work that doesn't stop for a couple of months and we'll try and get it together again. But these will definitely be the last kind of big shows that we'll be able to do. We might be able to do it again in a smaller room, but these are the last big shows we'll get the chance to do. And, you know, I really hope you can come and check it out. Uh, you'll find the tickets in the show notes of this. Back in a moment with Gretel Vella. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started You mentioned before, because I, I think it's important in everybody's career path, there's a there's the bit where you just have to be okay with not it not being the thing you want it to be and understand mm-hmm. that that time where you are, uh, you're not, you're seeing other people get the thing you want, uh, but as you're churning away, you are sharpening the blade, sharpening the blade, sharpening mm-hmm. the blade. You mentioned being, you're a, you're a PA uh, for mm-hmm. a while, you were a PA for Tony McNamara, a fairly iconic Australian playwright. Yes. Tell me about what it's like to <laughs> want to be a writer and be writing, and but working as a as a PA for <laughs> someone whose job that is, and being in meetings and stuff like that, going, yeah, but but me, but me, like, what's that like? Oh, look. I had other PA experiences that weren't that pleasant, but I think my time with Tony was, it was incredible. Like, I think sometimes when you first leave writing school, I think you can have a really false sense of the idea that you're ready. 
And then spending time with someone like that, I realized how much I didn't know. And he was incredibly generous. Uh, Like, yes, I was his PA, but he spent most of his time teaching me story structure and uh, how to tell a story. It was, I just wouldn't be where I am without his generosity. And then, of course, he took me on to two shows after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when we did The Great, he he let me sit in on meetings to show me how I would eventually show run. So I don't think uh, I had <laughs> any kind of feeling of, I want to get out there and do it because I knew my time would come and yeah. I was honing all my skills. But yeah. certainly in experiences before that, it's really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is, and it, it, it uh, you know, I certainly hope you were treated okay. But it, it is, it is hard to do that stuff um, and stay on point. To stay, this is what I, I want to do. You mentioned a word that isn't used much in Australia, but I did like it. Can we talk about what a showrunner is? Because people may not understand. Order is always like it's always in the big exposition parts of any show. It's like shut up, stop mm-hmm. talking. Because I'm like, oh wow, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, such and such and such and such executive producing. Wow, that means, oh, because they know the person from two two credit two slides ago. Oh, that all makes sense now. I come so fast, and she's like, shut up. I'm like, <laughs> God, you're one of those credit people. I'm the worst. Uh, so let's talk about what a you know what is it to show run. Let's talk about that because you know it, people might not understand what it is, but it is important because ultimately people are watching the best television mm-hmm. that's ever been made in history. At the mm-hmm. moment, and if you find a showrunner that's really great, you might love some of the other stuff that they're doing that might yes. not otherwise tickle your fancy. Mm-hmm. So, in Australia, I think I mean it is changing, but traditionally, the lead writer on something is kept quite separate from the production process. So mm-hmm. they will write the show, and then it's often handed off to a director and the producers, and they are kind of the uh, creative leaders of that television show, and then. The writer sees it and goes, oh, that's not what I meant, months later. (laughs) Yeah, right. But what they do uh, more often in America and the UK is you have someone called a showrunner who is the head writer and essentially the streamer buys into their creative vision. So they write the whole show, they lead a team of writers, and then they will hire uh, a setup director, the other directors, they'll hire the whole crew, and they will say, "It's this is not just what I see on the page. This is my whole creative vision. This is what I want it to look like, sound like. These are the actors I want. And so they have more creative control. They are the writer, creator, executive producer. So I was very fortunate that on Totally Completely Fine, the streamers bought my idea and, and let me be the showrunner. And I, I mean, every day I expected them to stop me and be like, hey, we change our minds on this. And, and they didn't. So I was very, very fortunate. And it's becoming far more of a thing in Australia. I, I, I personally think it, it makes better television. I personally think it, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't die or television because television, like when are we ever, like, I can't remember the last time I went to the theater, not see a franchise film. But everything's a fucking franchise. Mm. I mean, I'll go Mm -hmm. see John Wick 4. That's the next movie I'm going to go and see is John Wick 4, all right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I like to sometimes look back at the things that won Oscars 30 years ago, like that would never get greenlit, that would never get greenlit. (laughs) Totally. That would be a 10-part drama, Uh, um, (laughs) which is great because – but I think we're getting – 
we're getting better television than we've ever got before because the creative vision is not being diluted by whether it be a you know a director or or an actor that just wants to change lines or something like this. It's it's a continuous uh, you know chain of of possession of the idea from oh, page 100%. to screen. Oh, hundred percent. It like and I'm biased, but I think it makes absolutely no sense that you sell an idea and then after you finish writing it, you hand it off and it's for someone else to interpret and you're kept out of the process. It, I think it makes way better TV. And, and that's how you get these extraordinarily, you know, multi-layered characters of, uh, that mm-hmm. run across huge series arcs. Um, uh, old mate who wrote uh, The Wire, I think, was the, the, one, of the, one of the greatest ever to ever do this, which people would show up in season four, you know. <laughs> it was like... Um, yeah, it's some amazing stuff. People that you've seen, it's not season one. They show up in season four and they're like, now they're mm-hmm. here. Uh, it's, it, it's stunning. Where do you see, you know, something like this? The, the reality is that in Australia, if you want to get, it's, it's expensive to make stuff here in Australia for us. It's cheap for overseas people. That's why they come here and book out our studios mm-hmm. and we have to make our TV, you know, down the road uh, <laughs> where we used to make it. Uh, but it's expensive to make this kind of stuff in Australia. So, to justify the budgets, you often have to go, well, this will work not only here, but this will also work internationally. T- tell mm-hmm. me about um, what you see we are at the cusp of here in Australia as far as our own storytelling. I do think in at the end of this year, Australian content will have a lot more weight internationally just because I think we are releasing shows that are risk-taking really universal themes that look great that I think are going to reach more people and I think streamers are taking much more of a risk now Mm -hmm. and they're taking a risk on I think like also really fresh voices that maybe wouldn't have had a chance a few years ago so I think all of these shows that are coming out right now like well, Mania, Class of 07, I, I'm Deadlock. There's a whole bunch of new shows coming out. I think people are going to really start to appreciate our stuff more very soon. When I, I was overseas for quite a while and um, some of that time I spent in the Middle East, some of that time I spent in Amsterdam, uh, and there's something to be said about how a country sees itself from watching uh, watching itself dramatised on screen. And for quite a long time in Australia, it's simply been cheaper to run, uh, you know, a procedural uh, crime show at 8.30 at night. But you go to the Netherlands or you go to, you know, the Middle East, there's a drama that's set in the city that the people who are watching it live in because that's their own, they're not, you know, they're like, well, we don't speak English or in the Netherlands, it's it's all in Dutch. And so they tell their own stories and people see themselves reflected on screen and who they are feels more important and they have more of a sense of self because of it. I sometimes feel that here in Australia, we're a bit like, well, what? We were we were kind of a bit of kind of little Britain and now are we little America? Oh, what the fuck are we? Um, And seeing our stories on screen when we sit on a couch at night is so important to how we see ourselves as a country, I feel. Oh, 100%. And I think you're right. I think we have a we, – we were very particular things a few years ago. And I think now even – like it was really important to us and totally completely fine that we just had shots of Sydney. Like people knew where they were but not in a way that was like we're on the beach or we're in the outback. It's like, no, we're in, we're in the city <laughs> where 
people are things other than policemen and doctors. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> sorry, well, that was ruthless. Um, Mate, I, you, I don't know how many episodes of Dr. Doctor you wrote, but you are more than qualified to say that. You're fine. <laughs> no, I love Dr. Doctor. I I learned everything on Dr. Doctor. Yeah. But you know what I mean. People, yeah. yeah it's, it was important to us, and I think watching new Australian content now, I'm like, whoa, but there's the Sydney city streets. It's weird that it's shocking, but mm. it is. Yeah, I love watching um, Mister In Between because there's very there's never really those big sweeping drone shots of a harbour bridge or a. It's just like yeah. a sh- shitty street out the back of a river, and you're like, oh, that's fucking awesome, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, I, so true. Some of the locations out, you know, and like off in the Blue Mountains where they get up to. No good. Uh, it's just, uh, it's one of the most fantastic shows uh, I reckon Australia's ever made and written out of the need for work. He wrote it for himself because he's like, mm. no one's hiring me. I'm going to gonna write myself something. Really? <laughs> yes. There you go. Yeah. And then he went, oh, hey, Nash, you want to come and direct this? And Nash went, you're all right. And then, you know, away you go. It's, it's so That's good. great. When uh, you, you mentioned when you were working with Tony McNamara, that a lot of the time that you spent working together was, uh, and you really only, you know, we learn experiential learning is, you know, that you learn by doing. And, mm-hmm. y- you know, learning in that environment is ex- extraordinarily powerful. That's how I learned radio. I learned how to do radio while I was doing radio and I was terrible at it on mm-hmm. air live when the stakes were really high. And that's great. It's a really good way to learn because mm-hmm. um, I was shit. <laughs> I became not shit fairly quickly. When you see the opportunity to do for others what Tony did for you, how do you feel about it? I remember, and I'm sure they wouldn't mind me sharing this, when we uh, finished, I think Tony and Claudia Carvin, who was the other producer of Dr. Doctor, when they finished their last season, they said to myself and another young woman who they kind of mentored through their first groups, they said, this was the our favourite part of making this show was bringing other young people on and, and giving them their first shot. And subsequently I've, I've really made it a priority to mentor as many people as I can and bring them to set and have them observe in the writer's room and give them their first scripts. Um, and it, it is true what they said. It, it brings so much joy. I know that sounds like a selfish thing to say, but to see other people start, to understand and love the craft like you do. I don't think that there's any feeling like that. And to help someone else tell their story and facilitate that is a really, it's it's a wonderful feeling. And I, I, I don't know about you, but working with these, these other writers on the show that I've just, you know, I'm in the middle of right now, it, it makes me better at, at, at what I do. Um, yeah wildly like i'm i'm pushed by the the ideas that come my way and i am you know throwing these lego bricks to go ah i i I it's too good to not use all right how am i gonna figure that part i've never done anything like that all right let's go i love that it it really pushes it really pushes me and i'm you know that's so important it's such a valuable part of any any endeavor whether you work in finance whether you work in construction you know, mm-hmm. there's an apprenticeship model in everything and, mm-hmm. and it's ex- well, extraordinarily yeah. rewarding. And I think in the arts, there are far clearer cut progression pathways 
in places like America for writers. Mm. And in Australia, it is immensely difficult to actually get your foot in the door. And you can start as a note taker in the writer's room. And it's actually just sheer luck if someone turns to you and goes, can I just read your script? Like, do you want to come in as a writer next time? To get that first credit is so hard. Yeah. And it takes people, people just have to do it out of the goodness of their heart Mm. and actually make a real effort to mentor other people and give them that opportunity Part of the reason that I, I wanted to start this news show was not only was I extraordinarily frustrated with, you know, when I see someone like Audrey, who's my wife, who's incredibly intelligent, she went to like one of those, you can only get in here if you pass an exam school. It's like she's fucking oh. super clever, right? <laughs> um, when I see her check out of the news, I'm like, you are one of the most critical thinkers I know and you're checking out of this product that is supposed to inform you something's fucking wrong. So as much as I wanted to make this show to Mm. highlight that and talk about and, you know, such and such, I also kind of through my time living in America and, you know, seeing like the the most money-making form of television, the multi-camera sitcom, stopped being made in Australia 30 years ago. Mm. We haven't made one in that long. Like why? Why? What happened? And you look backwards from, you know, production, you look back through the writer's rooms and there's this just chasm. Uh, mm-hmm. between almost like the improv clubs and the improv teams and and these writers' rooms where people, you know. So I'm like, how can I get a whole bunch of people together? And, and so, and that's the other part of what I really wanted to do was like, I want to get as many people as possible together to just create something and then just shit starts flying off in different directions. I want to, you know, I, I, I really want that. Um, and I'm not making any money because I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm paying them, but I don't give shit. I give shit. I think it's super important. It doesn't matter. It's so great. And I think, like, yes, you can keep driving your own train for a long time and trying to stay passionate, but you need those communal experiences of making mm. things every now and then to just keep you going. And it doesn't matter yeah. how much money you make out of it or what happens. You just need yeah. it. When it comes to our, our stories, our Australian stories, why mm-hmm. do you, as someone who's, you know, seen it through like really quite mainstream kind of, you know, Channel 9, 8.30, Roger Corsa, Doctor, Doctor, <laughs> you know, yes. yeah, uh, Steve Britton shows up every and again. Uh, you know, you've done that and that's an important, yeah. that's an, uh, certainly mm-hmm. a way to tell an Australian story. Why mm-hmm. is it so important that Australian networks, Australian streamers uh, support Australians telling Australian stories. I think it's what you said. I think we need to see ourselves reflected back. And I think, yes, we have a lot of great international content, but I think, you know, whatever the subject matter, we need to know that it happens here and we can relate on a deeper level. And I also just think that we have so many amazing stories to tell and so many great storytellers. And maybe I'm naive, but I would really love to keep changing this industry and keep making things. And I find it like, it's really sad that we keep losing people to the overseas market, but I also totally get it. It's like, it's a lot easier. And they're also, I think, a, a little more open to young writers sometimes. Yeah. I might be I might be thinking about it like way too much sometimes, Gretel, but I do think sometimes that we don't see ourselves as of as of as much value sometimes because we're not portrayed of as much value. Yeah, interesting. You know? Yeah. And if we portray ourselves as as important as um Walter White 
or as important as uh, Skylar White, or as you know, you know, as important as as Dexter, you know. Yeah. We might, you know, deep down we go, well, we're not that good. That you know, we we fucking are. <laughs> <laughs> We yeah. really are. It's, it's so super important. It's super important. I, I, I'm so grateful that I got a chance to work with you. And I certainly, from the <laughs> bottom of my heart, Gretel, like to take a chance on me and asking me and to come and to be a part of the project that was so important and so important to you and trusting that I, I wouldn't fuck it up and being open to what I had to say. I just can't thank you enough. Like I've never, I'm never going to win a Logie, but this is like top shelf. It's like up there. If I could put it on a shelf next to my Logie, I would, but I don't have a Logie, oh so that's where it is goodness. instead. Honestly, I feel exactly the same way. I'm so <laughs> grateful that you came and did this for us. And I think Vivian's journey, everyone's journey is just so much better for your your insight. <laughs> I, it's just true. I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm, I'm so freaking thrilled. And um yeah, let's see. Uh, let's see where it goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, here we go. I can't wait for you to see it. Well, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I really can't wait. I really can't wait. You're you're the best. Um, thank you so much for your time and like, unreal. Thank you so much for making <laughs> it. You. I can't wait for people to see it. Me too. That was Gretel Bella. You can watch all the episodes of Totally and Completely Fine right now. They're streaming on Stan in Australia. I hope you like it. If this episode was good for you, if you think someone you know might benefit from this episode or listening to it, uh, please share it with them, particularly that stuff about the creativity and the work of being good at the work. I, I loved hearing that from her. That was super duper cool. If you want to come and check out the comedy festival show we're making for a bit of a laugh, May 3rd to May 7th, that's where we are, Manning Bar, Sydney Uni. Come be a part of it. I do have to say a massive thanks to the team at Fremantle and the team at Stan who made the conversation with Gretel and I happen. They, they worked hard to make that happen. So I'm really, really grateful for that. It was super cool to connect with her and have that conversation publicly because we kind of had to keep it quiet because, I, you know, I work for a different production company. I work for a different network. You know, it was a, it was a meeting and there was a lot of permission granted. And so a big thanks as well to the team at Network 10 who... Not only they were fine for me to work on the show, but then they were also fine for me to talk about it that I actually worked on the show. So I know it sounds weird, right? But uh, I understand it. You know, if you, I'm working essentially for a competitor. So I'm really grateful they let me do that um, because it's super important. And um, yeah, it, it was super duper cool. It was the best. Uh, thanks so much for listening. If you need to get me, it's super easy. Send out your email at gmail.com is where I am. Big thanks to Andy Ma on audio and video post-production. Thanks to Mike Mills, who made all the music. Bruce Steele on research and production support. And Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of The Lot. I will see you on Wednesday. Get your tickets in the show notes. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.